Are you interested in money, trends and behaviours? Welcome to Fin Talking, hosted by Jemima Joseph, Cassandra Crow, and Erica Hall. Just a quick reminder that this podcast provides general information only. It is not intended to provide financial, legal or tax advice. If you need advice, please consult a professional. Now let's get Fin Talking. There's been so much in the news around economic policy, government policy, fiscal spending, budgets introducing new stimulus packages. There's just so much that's happening at the moment when it comes to economics that there's so much for us to unpack with this. So the state of play in Australia is our second most populous state, um, which is Victoria, is in stage four restrictions, which obviously has had a significant impact on individuals, both from an economic and mental health perspective. There's so many layers to this. But really touching on the economic impacts, governments have had to step in and provide economic support packages. And in Australia, that has looked like, you know, JobKeeper, JobSeeker, which is providing impacted workers and businesses with means to help support them through this crisis and to also help us from stop slipping into a deeper recession. Um, But with all the numbers that are coming out, you know, the government has issued X amount of millions or if not some billion dollars towards these stimulus packages. People are quite alarmed around these figures and whether this debt is sustainable. But I think the question is, as individuals, do we really need to worry about this? I think about it and think, well, what, what are the alternatives? What if the government didn't step in? Like we would potentially be in a severe depression. Is that what we really want? And so I think really you want the government to be stimulating fiscally and borrowing at this point in time to try and smooth the terrible impacts of this pandemic that's now become an economic um, devastation. I mean, that might be a little bit too harsh, but it, it's it's certainly really challenging. And I was looking at some of the stats. There's 4 million Australian workers on JobKeeper That's about a quarter of the workforce and half of um, Victorians' private sector is on JobKeeper. So imagine if you didn't have that support in place, what the unemployment levels would be like and then the devastating effect that has on not only the individuals but the economy as well. We already know that there's things like um, mortgage holidays. We talked about that in one of our earlier episodes. Obviously not a holiday. (laughs) I honestly think that, yes, you want the governments to be getting in there and supporting um, every way they can. And I I think that they've done absolutely the right thing for the time. You know, we were potentially forecasting a government surplus, um, which is something traditionally that governments and economies strive for, Mm -hmm. meaning that, you know, you have more cash in the bank than you've spent that year, to put it in really simple terms, to think about it from a balance sheet perspective. But the reality is with COVID, all of the fiscal stimulus that has had to be injected into the economy, that surplus has now moved to a deficit. For me, I totally agree. I'm not sure what else we really could do. We are in the middle of a pandemic. I don't think anyone is necessarily wanting to put us into a deficit. And you do hear often people say, oh, the future generations, you know, they're going to be shackled by all of this debt and what are my children going to do? But for me, I think you've got to take a step back, look at the bigger picture, No one could foresee this coming. I think the government has acted very swiftly. I'm really pleased that we've got uh, functions like JobKeeper and JobSeeker 
And also even making childcare free at different points in time, I think is something that is actually incredibly important in terms of stimulating the economy and having people back in the workforce and thinking about the positive benefits to society and to um, society's welfare. So for me, the deficit, look, no one would, would want it. It's not ideal. It's not necessarily bad. And I think there has been a lot of commentary uh, in the market around that deficit and you know, will the RBA actually have to pay it back? Because the RBA and the government obviously very closely linked despite mm -hmm. the independence. So I think the worrying about the future uh, is valid not to diminish that, but we've had to deal with this uh, unexpected scenario in the best way that we could, and that has drove a deficit. Uh, the reality is, it, you know, how that's paid back, I think, is another topic we could talk about in terms of what shape or form that might take. But I think it's a choice we had to make. But I think you raise a really important point, Cassie, in terms of governments are not individuals. So you know, government exactly. debt is different to individual debt. Um, and what I mean by that is obviously as individuals, we've got a finite time to repay our debt. We've got a finite time that we're going to be in the workforce. And so, you know, typically if we've got a, a loan, we've got a 25 or 30 year window to pay that back. Governments don't have that same um, impediment, so they, they sort of go on in perpetuity. So the economy is, you know, going to be here in two hundred years' time, and so they don't have to pay back their debts in a small window. Um, as long as you're good mm -hmm. for it and you've got a reasonable credit rating, and Australia has a, a, a high credit rating, um, that's not an issue. The other issue is the government can actually print money. Um, as an individual, you can't do that. And then the other part of it is that if the government's actually borrowing money to stimulate the economy and improve the gross domestic product output, then that's not necessarily a bad thing either because you're actually um, using debt to grow um, an asset, which is yep. your economy. And so it's just like in a personal situation, good debt, bad debt. If you've got debt that's actually helping grow an asset, that's a good thing. So I think that Perhaps that distinction is really important as well. I think that's spot on. I think the risk, though, that certainly from a traditional economics perspective, people fear is inflation when you do have excessive mm. uh, mm -hmm. effective printing of money, which is what we're seeing happening in stimulus, which, again, I, as I say, fully support. The risk to that that people worry about is this whole concept of inflation, which essentially means that the purchasing power of that money is eroded. But I would say that there's two factors that usually drive that. One is velocity. So that is the actual changing hands of money because the government can print it, but it may not in fact change hands um, or go into the economy. And the second thing is wage growth. And we haven't even globally, I think, seen excessive levels of wage growth. So Without increased velocity and wage growth, I think it's unlikely that we're going to see inflation, but that has had a lot of economists really scratching their heads because we've been printing money for a long period of time, yet haven't seen inflation rear its head. So I do think there's scope for potentially a new way of thinking in terms of economic policy, given this environment. And I think that's an amazing segue into Definitely. the debates <laughs> around modern monetary theory, which has been, they've been raging quite a bit. And I think Alan Cole has been a proponent of sort of considering this. And Stephanie Kelton, a US economist, has written a book called The Deficit Myth. And this really raises this whole question around well, what is the best economic policy to go with? And there's all different ways that you can manage an economy. And um, modern monetary theory is one that seems to be really getting a bit of um, attention because what it does is it looks beyond 
the cost of debt and actually considers the broader social and economic impacts of the, the policy. And as, as long as inflation is okay, because as you say, inflation is really the bogeyman here. If inflation gets out of control, you get hyperinflation, like what happened in Germany or parts of Africa, and that's not great. So, you know, governments can certainly overspend, and if they do, then you're going to get inflation. But mm-hmm. given the situation we're in at the moment, when it doesn't look like inflation is going to rear its head anytime soon. And as you say, we haven't had wages growth in Australia for a very long time. Um, during the GFC, governments cut interest rates as far back to the bone as they could globally. And so like we're now sitting at a, a cash rate of 0.25%. There's not much else we can do now. So that int- that monetary policy, that interest rate cutting served us really well during that GFC era. But now we've got another issue to deal with. We don't have that that tool available to us to cut interest rates any further. Like they're, they're pretty much close to zero as you can get. So what, what have you got left to do? It's fiscal stimulus, which is what what's happening. And I think the other thing is Australia's debt is quite low compared to other developed nations. So it's yeah. actually not as, as bad relatively if you compare it. Exactly. I mean, even the point with inflation, just to give some context to that. Currently, I mean, this is at the time of recording, so it's, you know, mid-August. If you check out the Reserve Bank of Australia's website, so the RBA's website, they provide like headline figures on key economic indicators and inflation is currently sitting at negative 0.3%. You know, for a long time period, that has been well below their 2 to 3% target, which is what they consider as complete keeping inflation in check. So we don't have an inflation problem. I think why MMT, that modern monetary theory, um, has <laughs> too many M's, has, <laughs> has kind of resonated with a lot of economists, with a lot of economic journalists, is really because it provides a different paradigm for looking at economic theory. So the current state of play is that we are in a global economic recession, no denying. People thought that was coming pre-COVID and COVID just pushed it along. So that's one element. The second element is, like you talked about, Erica, traditional monetary policy has exhausted its usefulness. Like (laughs) interest rates are so low, they can't really get any lower. So that's not a tool that the RBA can really use to effectively move the dial and stimulate the economy. Just there's no, literally no wiggle room there. So that's a real inhibitor for what we have traditionally been able to do. So ultimately, fiscal policy, like you mentioned, is really the only lever that can be pulled. But I guess how we need to think about the government's role in that, which is obviously the government will spend money in certain areas of the economy to stimulate that. Obviously, long term, the goal is to generate economic growth. But for now, it's really just keeping us kind of as individuals in different sectors of the economy kind of afloat to get us through this period. I think how we think about government debt and is it really, quote unquote, debt, MMT, this new way of thinking, really provides an alternative perspective of, I think, detaching ourselves from this notion that it's like household debt. It is really a, a different form, a different way of thinking. And yeah, like you were saying, like with this whole issue of printing money, this whole notion of thinking only really works if a economy can issue their own currency because it means that they have control over that actual 
currency. Yep. It doesn't mean that they actually have to print. It just means that they have full control over how that supply of money works. They're not dependent on another economy. Like the currency is not fixed to like the US dollar. So we're not dependent on another currency's dynamics. Um, so I think that yes. gives room to to really say that how the government spends, like you were saying before, it doesn't really have to quote unquote pay it back in spending and it goes into a deficit, there would be another part of the economy that's in a mm. surplus, which is individuals are, you know, through JobKeeper, for example, have the funds they need to be able to, you know, survive in this instance. So whilst one side of the, you know, equation is taking a little bit of a, not a nosedive, that would be too dramatic, but is spending on that element, another is being supported. So I guess it's all not, it's not bad. We just have to kind of change our thinking around it. I think that's exactly it. And I think um, you hit on a really important point, which is around being able to print your own currency, because if you can't do that, the the theory um, somewhat of MMT is a little bit challenged, but certainly in Australia, we have that luxury. So I think we're in a fortunate position. And that makes me think of um, something we've all spoken about before, which is um, this concept of the magic pudding that's been put out in the market around this printing of money really, um, I think, is quite an interesting one that Alan uh, Collier and others have mentioned um, during the pandemic, but meaning that the government can essentially print its own money, so therefore the government, it would be difficult to imagine a world where it went broke. I'm not saying that could never happen, but um, I guess that's another factor to consider. And I think, yeah, that image of, I think it was Albert, the magic pudding that no matter how much you ate of him, he still kind of existed and had that grumpy look on his face. So that kind of ever replenishing pudding, a bit like having your cake and eat it too, I think is something that is getting a lot of dialogue in the market at the moment as well. So it's something to consider. Again, not necessarily saying that's a bad or, or good thing, but just a reality of Australia's situation, I think is quite unique in that way. Can I just interject on um, Albert and the magic pudding? And he's a very ugly looking pudding. Uh, but just for our overseas <laughs> listeners that may not be aware, so this is an Australian children's tale by Norman Lindsay and the magic pudding is no matter how much it's eaten, it always reforms itself so you can eat it again. And um, and so this is yeah. like some, one of the, the ways that people have been referring to modern monetary theory. It's a magic pudding. It's some sort of mystical fantasy. That's, um, you know, what, what you're referring to here, Cassie, and, um, you know, I think if we can put a picture of how ugly Albert is. He's covered in warts and things. He's so ugly. And he's he's not a very nice pudding yeah. <laughs> in terms of, like, temperament. I'm sure he tastes lovely. He's got very thin, long, spindly legs and then a big pudding on the top. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he does. But, look, I think back on all seriousness, like, unlike typical recessions, household incomes have held up relatively well so far because of this fiscal support. So I think that that's showing that it is sort of helping, you know, considerably and you know it's been pretty um pretty decent amount of money that's been thrown at this um and also behaviors are changing household behaviors are changing will they be sustained i don't know but certainly household saving rates have increased sharply um and because of all this uncertainty and so constrained consumption not great for the economy obviously we need people to spend to sort of keep the wheels in motion so this income support from fiscal measures super important and the only other thing I wanted to raise, you know, after World War II, we had 120% um, debt to GDP, so much significantly higher than what we've got now, like seriously large amount of debt. Yet that's when the middle classes were born. 
Um, so if you're thinking about that whole emotive thing about, oh, no, the future generations, I'm burdening my children with, you know, saddling them with all this debt, well, it depends, again, on, you know, how the debt is, um, what it's funding. Case in point, huge debt, end of World War II, we had great prosperity. So if, if it's actually funding economic growth, it's it's not necessarily a bad thing. Exactly. Um, I think the other to like touch on the point of why people are so fearful around this this concept of burdening future generations with you know the government overspending is i think it kind of goes back to the idea that taxes pay for what the government spends and i think that is probably something that needs to be reexamined because there is an element of tax revenue that comes from obviously all of us paying taxes <laughs> does go towards um, offsetting, I guess, a bit of government spending. But it's not the only thing that the government uses to raise the required revenue. There's just so many aspects to it that I think if we look at it in a very limiting view that future generations are going to have these high tax bills, tax rates are going to go up and like no one knows what the future holds. And that's not saying that, you know, that's very much a a government policy decision, but we shouldn't shackle ourselves to the idea that we are going to be burdening future generations because taxes are going to definitely go up as a result of this government spending now. I think shifting our mindset and the thing with MMT that kind of blew my mind um, was that it did provide another another way of looking at this whole situation. And like we've pointed out, if inflation is, is if there's so much room in that for um, governments to spend and not impact the real economy and the economy can keep up with that level of spending and we can grow, then it's not really a bad thing. It's probably to use that term, a necessary evil, but, I mean, is it even evil is is another thing. <laughs> I was going to say, I think what it comes down to, though, is trust. And so it's like, do we as the, the people trust the government to do the right thing? If we give them this flexibility and freedom to just go into debt, can we trust that they'll keep inflation in check and everything will be okay? And I think that that's probably the fearful part of it. It's like, okay, maybe it makes sense, but mm, do I really trust the politicians and the government to actually keep themselves in check and not go crazy like, you know, a bull in a china shop. Yeah. Yeah. No, look, I agree. We've got a government deficit. Is it bad or good? Not necessarily bad, as we might have all once thought, uh, given the pandemic. But the reality is it does have consequences. So it could be a magic pudding or, or it could be that inflation is around the corner. I don't think we know if that's a real risk or not. Um, but I think for me, like you've both highlighted the MMT thinking, I really like the societal perspective that it has. I'm more than happy to have a deficit if it means people can have a job, it means people's kids can go to childcare. I think it's that whole well-being sort of mindset that we should be shifting to as opposed to those more traditional economic ratios that are actually what's going to make the difference during a pandemic. So I think there is a mind shift Um, to something more society-focused and less maybe old traditional economic metrics in these types of crisis, I think is what really resonates with me. 